welcome everyone. I want to welcome you online and in all of our campuses in Waterbury, New Milford, Derby, and all of us are, who are here. Uh, great to be together, to worship together. So good to hear your voices so loud and clear in this room this morning. It was wonderful to hear. Um, I think most of you know, if you don't by now, I love the game of ice hockey. I love it. I have a passion for ice hockey. And I love to talk about it. So if you get me started on that topic, be prepared. It might take a little while. So you may not want to start that conversation if you've got some place to be. But recently, I've had the chance to be involved in an organization in Connecticut. And I've gotten to know a particular coach who has played lots of games in the NHL previously. And sitting down with him and talking hockey is, is just a lot of fun. You know, you, you hear the passion. You hear all the experiences you, uh, you, can, you know you have so much to learn from them because you don't have the same experiences they have. Have you had this experience before where you've been with somebody where you share a passion area and it just, you could probably talk for days? Not long ago, uh, we were talking about this Abundant Life series. Adam, myself, and Steve Martin, the three of us were chatting about it and we were thinking, what are the main things we need to talk about when it comes to living La Vida Abundante, or however you want to say it, whichever language. I'm not going to try French on my own without Crystal's help this morning. And we knew one of the things we needed to talk about was stewardship. And we talked a lot about stewardship of time over the last few weeks, but we want to talk as well about stewardship of finances. And when we got the chance to meet Chuck and Ann Bentley, we, we saw that in them was that same kind of connection that I have with my friend Ike, the co my, my hockey coach friend, where you knew the depth of experience and passion over a topic. And you're about ready to hear that from Chuck, a depth of an, ex of an experience of a topic, good, bad, and otherwise, when it comes to financial stewardship, and you're in for a treat. Yesterday, Anne and Chuck led us in a great seminar. I wish even more of us could have been there, but many of you were there. And it was a tremendous time to really understand from, a, from the perspective of the Bible, a godly perspective on finance and also how it affects our lives. You know, Chuck is here because of his great experience. Um, he is the CEO of Crown. Now, Crown was started by Larry Burkett. That name may mean something to many of you, um, who is, really has helped our, our faith-based world in the whole areas of finances for so many years. Crown's mission, which I love, and I'm just going to read it to you, is to advance proven biblical solutions to economic challenges by helping people discover who they are, what they have, and how to best use both. It's a great mission. I can see why you get up every morning excited about that. Chuck is the author of many books. If you have interest in learning more on this topic, you can look him up and find those, his, his work there. And he's also uh, the host of two daily broadcasts. And he's also the founder and director of the Christian Economic Forum. This is a group of people that get together to try to solve some of the world's most difficult problems together. And he's been a part of that for many years. Uh, it really is my, my honor and privilege to invite Chuck Bentley to join me on stage. I want to pray for you, Chuck. Let's give, it, let's give him a warm Walnut Hill welcome. I figure I'll just pray for him. I know he has probably preached a sermon like this before, but hey, Let's do we it. want the Holy Spirit to come, right, Amen. and move. Amen. So, Lord, we just come right now, and we thank you that this is certainly an area that Chuck's going to be comfortable speaking, but now he's here in front of an audience that he's not spoken to before. So now I pray to just give him great peace. And also, Lord, will you tune our ears and hearts to hear from you today? We really want to hear from you, God. We want, we want to hear Chuck's words. We want to hear those words striking our hearts because of your spirit's presence and power right here in, our, in this room. So will you do that, Lord? And will you empower my friend here? 
to impart to us exactly what we ought to and need to hear. And God, will you do the transformational work that only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank, Thank you, Chuck. You. Thank you, Craig. Well, good morning. Are you excited to talk about money today? So good to be here uh, in the Bible Belt. It's, I just feel right at home. You know you're not in the Bible Belt, which makes you so strategic. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for Craig and Adam and Steve and all of you who gather to worship the Lord and to be his salt and light in an area that has lost its salt and light. And it makes you so important. I, uh, I'm from Texas, born and raised in Texas. You can always tell a Texan. You just can't tell them very much. <laughs> We're known throughout the world for our humility. Somehow that always gets a good laugh. We're going to talk about stewardship, but not what we can get from you, but what the Bible has for you. And I want you to open your heart this morning to think about what God has for you and your family, why you're here today, what problem or burden or pain or doubt or insecurity you have around money. And I truly pray that you will have a transformative renewal of your mind today. That's why I'm here, to help you see the beauty of God's plan for you and your family and your finances. I want to pray the prayer that we opened with from Chronicles 16.9. If you'll just bow with your heads with me. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout Walnut Hill this morning. The eyes of God Almighty, who can see through the veneer, who can see through our very thoughts and into our heart. And he'll be calling us to surrender our pain, our challenges, our fears to him so that he can strengthen you today. Lord Jesus, I pray that I will decrease, that you might increase. I pray that whatever would prevent your message from going forward would be removed and that we will see the beauty of what it means to be a faithful steward. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a fascinating study conducted in Boston at a hospital, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and they asked 24 of their highly credentialed radiologists to take a look at this slide. This is a CT scan of a lung cancer patient, and they asked these radiologists, what do you see? And I would ask you the same question. I know you're not radiologists, but what happened in this study is that 83% of these highly trained, highly skilled professionals did not see the dancing gorilla in this CT scan. My question to you, are you among the 83% right now? Five times they were asked of this slide, five different times, what do you see? Well, if you go to the next slide, you will be able to see the dancing gorilla. Were you in the 
or the 17%. This test was a test of what is called inattentional blindness. It's a life-threatening problem when you can't see something hiding in plain sight. It's there, but you just don't see it. Quite frankly, I didn't see it when I looked at the slide. It's the slide there. It's right there. But what happened to me in my life, I grew up in the church. I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. And I thought I knew everything about money. I was reasonably successful with money. And my wife wanted me to learn what God said about money. And I remember telling her, I already know what God says about money. And I don't think there's anything for me to learn. Nice, humble attitude. But in 1999, through a Bible study at our church, I repented of my love of money and asked the Lord to show me what he said about money. And I found that it was hidden in plain sight. I'd just never seen it. And so what I want to go through now is something that I hope you will see with me. I want to talk about the five essentials of God's economy. Five essentials of God's economy are all the same as man's economy. We work, we give, we save, we spend, and we invest. Now, let me just put some parameters around this for where you may be coming from this morning. You may be here worrying about how you're going to make it to the end of this month. Your pain, your plan, your need may be, how do I just get rent paid? How do I afford the inflationary prices of, of food? How am I going to work through the immediate need that I have? Others are you here in a whole different place. You're concerned about how do you make it to the end of your life without running out of money? What kind of plan does God have for you? But the one we most often overlook is what God's Word tell, tells us is that we need to prepare for that day. That day when we're standing before the Lord and we're evaluated for our stewardship of what He's provided for you, whether it's a lot or a little. And He speaks to all people on the economic spectrum. It doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. He tells us that these are the five things that he wants us to do, and we're going to go through each one of those. But did you know the scripture speaks to this topic more than heaven and hell combined? I didn't know that. It starts in Genesis and goes through Revelation. It starts with Adam, and we will be God's stewards for all of eternity. If you look at this next slide, you will see that if any one of these steps are taken out of God's virtuous economic cycle, that it will create pain and suffering. If you stop working, you'll immediately notice, a, you know, there's a problem there with a lack of income. If we stop giving, there'll be a problem with those who are suffering who cannot work. If we stop saving, we'll live under financial stress and bondage and in fear for all of our lives. And if we stop spending and learning to wisely invest the resources that God has given to us. The economy cannot grow. But if we spend wisely and are very careful with our spending, then we will be able to become investors. And when we invest, then more people can go to work, and that little cycle spins. And a view of stewardship 
is a view not from what man could teach you about money, but what God wants to tell you about those five things. And it starts in your heart. Do you see the heart in the middle of that picture? True biblical stewardship starts with what's in your heart. Two weeks ago, I was in a French-speaking nation. The contrast could not be any greater than it is this morning. 98% of the population of Madagascar, 98% live on less than $200 a month. Do you feel any richer right now? Do you know you live in one of the richest areas and one of the richest countries and one of the richest times in all of history? And yet, God's solution, whether you're in Madagascar or whether you're here in this affluent society, is exactly the same. It starts within your heart. It starts with what you believe about money. It starts with what God wants to teach you how to manage money his way, not the world's way. Now, there is a non-virtuous cycle. The non-virtuous cycle is when we don't have a heart change, and we do all of these same five things with our own selfish ambition. Dr. Tim Keller called this a money sickness. He said the Bible addresses the topic of our money sickness more than any other topic when it comes to money. In fact, it shouts at us. It's the dancing gorilla in Scripture. James 3 says, if you have envy and selfish ambition in your heart, it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, and a cause for every disorder in the world, your own selfishness. And God wants us to be outwardly focused when it comes to resources. This is not a giving campaign. It's an, it's, it's a, it's an attempt to help you to see what God's given you as a responsibility when he provides for you. He warns us against greed. Greed is not good. Greed is wanting more of what you already have. It's wanting, it's, 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 you're never satisfied. The scripture says if you're greedy, you'll never be satisfied with whatever you'll have. You'll never experience contentment or peace or joy. You'll never experience gratitude. It's always just more, bigger, better, faster. The newest technology, the newest gadget. And it's an empty hole that cannot be filled. But coveting is very different. That's one of the money sicknesses. Do you know what coveting really means? It means I want what you have. It's not what I have, it's what you have. It's what Ahab said to Naboth. I want your vineyard. I'm going to demand it of you. I'm the government. I should be able to take your property for, you know, if I just want whatever you've got. And, of course, Ahab didn't do it. Jezebel did. She went and got the vineyard. It didn't end well for them. It's a horrible sickness to look around you and say, I'm wearing a Timex, but that guy's wearing a Rolex. I need the Rolex. Let's, let's get that from him. Let's go get it. Did you know it's the 10th commandment? It's one of the most underlooked commandments I think there, there is because God said it's in our heart. We can hide it. We can pretend that we don't want other people's stuff. I was in Singapore a number of years ago, and I was teaching at a men's conference 
2,000 men, and it was an outreach of a church to talk about money, and one-fifth of the population of Singapore are millionaires. The other four-fifths are trying to become a millionaire. And I'm speaking to a room of very, very affluent people. But before I got up to speak, I, uh, I went to the men's room. It was a very big uh, men's room in a, you know, enough, like, it was almost like a stadium. And I was the only one in there. And when I left, I turned off the lights. It's just a habit I have. I turned off the lights. And immediately, I heard from in the, the men's room, somebody yelled, Turn on the blankety, blankety, blank light, mate. And so I turned it on. But I had been thoroughly cussed out from somebody that was in the dark in that men's room. That sounded like an Australian accent. So I waited outside. (laughs) I thought I'd like to meet this fella. And he came out and got in my face. Why did you turn off that light? Well, I didn't know you were in there. I'm sorry. Well, don't turn off the light when there's other mates in the bathroom, mate. You know, very nice undressing right before the godly men's conference. Well, he didn't know who the keynote speaker was that day. It was a fun morning for me. He was on the front row right there like where you are, Adam. I just did one of these. Remember me? And he kind of sunk down in his chair. And I remember I decided to be super bold. I just said, gentlemen, the purpose of your life is not to get rich. It's okay to be rich, but God didn't set you here on earth to accumulate money. That wasn't a popular start to the meeting. This guy didn't look happy the whole time. But when it was over, I had a little book signing table, and there was a line, and I went to sign books for the audience, and my Australian friend was first in line. He said to me, stand up, and I thought, I'm not sure I want to. (laughs) You still seem a little hostile, and when I stood up, he threw his arms around me, and he started to weep on my shoulder, and he just wept and wept and wept, and he was trying to talk, and he finally said, sir, you're the guy who turned off the light. (laughs) I said, yes, that's me. He said, you saved my life today. He said, you see, I moved here from Australia to get rich. There's a popular book sold by a financial guru, you know, 12 steps to get rich quick, and I followed every single one of those steps, and I went completely broke. My wife and children left me and moved back to Australia. I have two things to my name. I have an iPad and $10. And a friend of mine invited me to this conference. And I started shaking. I stood on the sidewalk thinking, as the bus came to pick me up, do I use my last $10 to get there? Or do I jump in front of the bus and end my life? I was suicidal in that bathroom. And I had no idea why I came. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to hear about money. I was sick of money. My life was ruined by money. And he said, you're the first Christian who ever told me, life does not consist of an abundance of your possessions. Get over it. 
have a purpose bigger than accumulating money. He said, I'm free. My life has started over. I'm going to try to reconcile with my wife. I'm going to put my family back together. And it was just in a morning like this. And he understood that biblical stewardship is different than what we think of it. We think of biblical stewardship, if you'll go to the next, go to the next two slides, if you will. Biblical stewardship is not ordering your finances in such a way that you can spend money however you want. It's ordering your life in such a way that God can spend you however he wants. You're free of money. On this end of the spectrum, it's not your worry and doubt and fear and stress that you've lived under. And on this end of the spectrum, it's no longer in control of your life. It's not your identity or your security. True biblical stewardship is when you recognize that God made you to be a worker. Did you know God worked for six days? Sort of an unimaginable thought. But he worked. Some theologians say we're most like God when we go to work. It's a holy endeavor. When you go to work, God provides. There's a direct connection there. Cultures that don't believe in work suffer Study economic history. Work ethic leads to economic growth. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that you have a job. It's a beautiful thing that you can work as unto the Lord and do excellent at whatever you're called to do and to bring him honor and glory. And by the way, this church will grow as you take God's truth into the marketplace and you represent him by the quality of your work and the way that you teach other people. God wants you to be a giver. And I like to say he doesn't call you to give. We don't tip God at the last of the month if we, we have something left over. Your first priority is to be a giver. Everything God created was created to give. Every single thing, even the dirt, gives back to humanity. And of all of his creations, we're the ones that are to be the most generous givers. And I like to say, I never teach on generosity because we're born generous, all of us. The challenge is, are we going to be generous to ourselves or generous towards God? We just have to make a decision. Is he truly God of our lives? And can we be generous for his cause? And then he teaches us to be savers. Savers help you back off the financial cliff. I never like to save money. I'm the big spender in our family. So for 20 years, we lived right on the edge. My wife was losing confidence in me because I was foolish with money. I just got, it came in and it went out. When I was in Madagascar, I asked them to look at this slide and I said, is this the way you manage money in Madagascar? One of the poorest nations on earth. They said, no, we only need two of those steps. Work, spend, work, spend, work, spend. That's all we do with money. We have no margin. We have no capacity to plan for the future. We live on the edge of survival, and that creates a lot of debt. Most of the Malagasy people told me they start looking for where they can borrow money by the second week of the month, just to borrow to get to the end of the month. And then they have to lie to their neighbor and friends and people at church that says, I'll pay you back next week. It's one of the most common lies in Madagascar. 
But when you save, whatever amount God gives you, you back off the cliff. You back $1,000 away off the cliff. You back $2,000 away off the cliff. And little by little, suddenly your fear has minimized because you've demonstrated the wisdom of God. And you know what happens? You start giving more. Because you're not worried about if I can make the rent. And I'm, you're not worried about if you've got to put it on your credit card anymore. Your credit card's not your safety net in the world. Your wisdom comes from saving for the future. And when you save for the future, then you learn to discipline your spending. And when you spend wisely, then you've got capacity to go around this cycle and become an investor. And when that cycle spins, more people go to work. And when I look at a church, I look at you. I met a guy named Steve and some of you earlier. I met some of you yesterday. And I think, what if this cycle is just spinning really, really nicely in your life? And all of these circles start spinning. You know what the church becomes? It becomes the most powerful economic engine in a culture. Because we're doing what God said to do. We're producing. We're being fruitful and we're multiplying. And civilization continues. That's how it works. That's what God taught the Jews. It's what he's taught the Gentiles. It's what he teaches all people. This is his system. This is what he wants us to do. And when you look at it, at the very heart of it is the recognition of these things. You're simply a steward. You don't own anything. You're here and you'll be gone in a very brief period of time and nothing will go with you. This is all God's. Everything you can see or feel or touch that you may temporarily manage your only choice with resources after you've paid your taxes is to decide what other stewards will be entrusted with your resources. Whether it's your children or charitable causes, you're going to leave them behind. Naked you came, naked you depart, and naked has no pockets. It's just reality. God didn't give you the world. He didn't give, you, he didn't give it to Adam. He said, go down there and work and manage it, and then you'll be brought home. And he didn't call you to be successful with money. He said, I'm calling you to be faithful with money. And faithfulness is our relationship with him, meaning that he is preeminent on all of our financial decisions. One of the most exciting things you could decide today is that you will seek to become faithful with every dollar God entrusts to your care. And reorient your thinking about your responsibility there. Also, you will you will start to see that when you invite God into your financial pain, into your financial decisions, that you draw close to him because every day you make a decision as a steward. Every single day you make financial decisions. And when God's invited into those decisions, you start to experience him. You start to see him intervene and provide and solve problems. And you get over the the, the confusion that money is not your provider. Money is not your security. He is. Money can leave you. Money can forsake you. Your business can go bad. The economy can dry up. Trends and shifts can wipe out everything that you have, but you don't lose him. That's the message. 
He's greater than any resource you might have, whether it's one dollar or a hundred million or a hundred billion. This is not our home. He said, don't make your plan to just finish well to the end of your comfortable life. He told the foolish farmer who wanted to build a bigger barn and live the American dream. He said, today's your last day. How big does that barn need to be? Maybe your priorities need to be reevaluated. If this is your last day, do you really want to just start heaping up bigger barns? Or he said, why don't you think about being rich towards God and wrestle with that? What does that mean to be rich towards God? If you go to the last slide, I think about Walnut Hill. I think about the potential of people who work so hard, so capable and so gifted. And think about everyone here becoming God's faithful worker, creating goods and services and resources. You know, work improves our character. I grew up with the little saying, the man may build the house, but the house is building the man. Work shapes our character. When we go to work, we see God's faithfulness. More givers. God created you to be a funnel, not a bucket. A lot of times we say, Lord, you know, fill my bucket. I can't tell you how many Christians I know that pray to win the lottery. You know, God, if you'll give me a lot, I'll be so faithful. And he says, well, why don't we start with the little? How are you doing being faithful with the little? Givers are the white blood cells of society. Christians run into the fires. Christians run into the earthquakes. They run into the hurricanes. They run into the war zones. They reach out and they do the things generously. The turning point in history, I think, is in Acts chapter 11 when Agabus told the disciples a great famine is coming throughout the land. Can you imagine if that was our announcement today? We're all going to possibly starve. The disciples thought about it. They made a plan and said, let's send financial help. Let's be givers. The Lord said to be savers. The Lord said to be wise, avoid debt, reduce your stress, create margin so you've got freedom. You've got options. You can go where he says to go. You can say yes when he wants you to do something. You can respond. You can make a plan to be intentional about your life. Then you can be great spenders. I've always said that you write your autobiography by your financial choices of how and where you spend money. If God were to look at your checking account or your bank account or your digital account and say, I can see your priorities. You're making the choices of what you value. And the question is, what do we value in God's economy? And then when you become investors, you please the Lord because you've multiplied resources. I have so much I would like to share, but I only get to talk in one service, and then we stop, and there's a second service, and I'm not supposed to go all the way to the second one. The last three parables in Matthew 25 are all about money. Ten virgins, five foolish, five wise. They had oil in their lamp. They had the Holy Spirit. They had God in their life. 
the foolish virgins tried to buy the oil after the return of Christ, and their money was worthless. And then he said, if you've been five talents or two talents or one talents, and you've multiplied it, five became ten, two became four, one wasn't multiplied. Then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a financial parable. It's about being productive so that you have a surplus. You have more than you need. You know why? For the last parable, the sheep and the goats. And he said the sheep are the ones who noticed the hungry, the thirsty. They noticed the naked, the sick, the prisoner, and the stranger. And they did something about it. And he said, you did it for me. All about using resources. The last three parables that he left us with. You're auditioning for your day to stand before him. To be God's good and faithful steward. Last story. When I was in Madagascar two weeks ago, I don't know why, but I was reminded of my grandfather. He was born 126 years ago, 1898. He was born into poverty in Texas. Seven children. One of them died at four years old, and he couldn't afford the medicine couldn't afford medical care, and it so grieved him that he spent most of his life as a public drunk, an alcoholic, ashamed of himself, and he never overcame poverty. But late in his life, shortly before I knew him, he gave his life to Christ, and he spent his latter years sitting at his little table in his little house that he didn't buy. My dad bought it for him so that his dad would have indoor plumbing. My dad bought his dad his only home. And he would sit at that table and write notes about the scripture. And when he died, the only thing his children or grandchildren inherited were those notes. And I've read them. I remember in a moment of just transparency, he said to the Lord, if I could live my life over... I would ask that I not be in poverty. He really never left his little community in 72 years of life. He said, but what I would ask, Lord God, is if you would give me the joy of teaching your word all over the world. It's my richest treasure. I wish I could teach other people about your goodness. That came from my grandfather. Fast forward to when my father was the only of those seven children to graduate high school. He escaped poverty by joining the Marine Corps. I'm his firstborn son. When I was born, the doctors didn't think I would live. My father called a prayer meeting around the hospital room where I was, thought I might die on my first day of life. And on his knees, my dad prayed the same prayer that Hannah prayed for Samuel. Lord, this child is yours. I'm giving him to you. My dad offered me to the Lord if the Lord would have me live. And for some reason, I guess because I was so far from home, it just hit me. That God answered my grandfather's generational prayer through his grandson. 
I get to teach the riches of God all over the world. We came out of poverty. And God has blessed our family and taken us to places we never dreamed. God's so faithful. And I was just overcome with the faithfulness of our God and his ability to take a, a, a person with nothing. My grandfather died of emphysema from a lifetime of smoking and drinking. But he had a heart's desire and a prayer, and he put it before God. And God answered the prayer of my family through what he's allowed me to do. And then they, the worship team started singing. And they sang the blessing. My firstborn son had an experience with God. He was a worship leader. Another worship leader in Dallas, Texas called and said, my guitar player is sick. Can you come to our church and sub on Sunday morning? He said, okay, I'll come and be your guitar player at another church with another worship team. Driving over to that church, he said the Lord spoke to him and said, Hank, this person's going to ask you to join the worship team. Say yes. He said he heard it clearly. Just say yes. He went and subbed for the guitar player. She said, hey, would you like to be on my worship team? Yes. <laughs> Tonight... He's in Los Angeles, nominated for a Grammy Award for writing Christian music. He's written seven number one Christian songs that most of you would know. Carrie Job was the worship leader. Carrie said, uh, will you help me take my band on the road? Will you help us go national? And they played all over the world together. He stood in the wedding with Cody Carnes and when Cody and Carrie got married. Cody Carnes is nominated for a Grammy tonight. I'm going to be watching. And Cody and Carrie wrote The Blessing during COVID. And it's gone all over the world in languages that came through our faithful God. So we're going to close. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing The Blessing together and worship the faithful God to bless your family. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness through generations. There are people here today who can relate to the misery of having nothing and no hope and stress. There's others who can relate to the worries of affluence worries and, and the gravity of their stewardship responsibility. I pray by your spirit, you set us free today and we surrender. We surrender everything to you. It's yours anyway, Lord. It all belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to see our identity as your faithful stewards, that you would make us into beautiful workers, generous givers, wise savers, and careful spenders so that we could be investors and multiply your kingdom resources so that that wheel will spin at Walnut Hill. The beauty of the stewardship 
will attract people to you. And your blessing will flow into these families, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name.